Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you, and uh, we're glad to be with you. If uh, David, we are going to use those slides from John, so just we'll pull those up. But let me talk for a minute. Um, we're going to continue in our study in John today, and if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter eight. Going to a passage that you probably haven't heard in a long time, if forever, preached on. Um, I have uh, I have prayerfully considered this topic. And prayerfully considered this sermon. Uh, AJ, I considered pulling it as late as 11 o'clock. I have my other Bible to do another message. But I think God needs us to hear this message. John is a powerful book. Very encouraging. Uplifting. But it's also hard hitting. It doesn't, it doesn't mince words. And so today, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, but he gives us four ways that we can die in our sins. Now, that's not the way I always like to preach. I very rare, I don't know that I've ever entitled a sermon like that. But that's what this is about. If somebody wants to die in their sins, this is how you do it. Because life in a fallen world is, is really a life of missed opportunities. It is for all of us. We can all look back and say, well, I should have done this or I should have done that or I'd made this decision, it wasn't so good or I made that decision and it wasn't so good. Garden of Eden is the original bad decision. When God gave man bliss, he gave him heaven on earth. That's what heaven was. And he gave it to us. In fact, if we want a picture of what eternity with God would be like, that'll be it. A beautiful place where we have constant fellowship with God. And man's sin, his disobedience, his own will, which God gave us, caused all the trouble that we have today. Moses and Aaron. You think about Moses and Aaron, you think about how godly, they were godly men, godly leaders. They did, they did a great job all the time. They led Israel a tough, belligerent, faithless bunch. He led them through the desert for 40 years. Near the end of that, in Numbers chapter 20, they were faithful leaders and they, the nation had run out of water. So God said, listen, if you'll go to the rock and speak to it, water will flow out of this rock in a way that you've never had before. And Moses and Aaron were mad at the people for their lack of faith. And so they go to the rock and they said, why would we want to do something like that for you guys? So instead of speaking to the rock, they hit it twice with their staff and water just gushed out. And God said, because of your lack of faith, you'll never see the promised land. And we all hold that and say, well, that's, that's tough, isn't it? But sin cost Moses. David. The man after God's own heart. We can read the Bible and read about his worship with God, about his, about his fellowship with God. The Bible doesn't speak about anybody else the way it speaks about David. Yet David saw a woman taking a bath and said she wanted, he wanted that woman to be his. Unfortunately, he was married and so was she. And so he committed adultery. The woman became pregnant. To, to try to make things right, David lied on top of the sin. The baby, the, the cause the, the father or the husband of the, his, 
his, uh, the woman that he committed adultery with to, to be killed. Set in motion a series of events that plagued David and his family for generations. Never went away. Powerful sin. Solomon, his son by that relationship. And Solomon had it all. The wisest man in all the world. The richest man in all the world. And toward the end of his life, listen to what 1 Kings chapter 11 says. When Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away to follow other gods. He was not wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord, his God, as his father David had been. So Solomon, for all of his glory and all of his wisdom and all of his wealth, turned his back on God. These these were godly people. And then we see in the Bible people that weren't godly and their disobedience. But we know that as believers, when we disobey God, it clearly has its consequences. There's Judas, one of the 12. I mean, here is a man that Christ chose to follow him, to be with him. He walked with Jesus. He saw Jesus for three years. He saw everything about it, heard every message, heard all the things that went on. And and the Bible never tells us, it just gives us hints. But at the end, it tells us that uh, uh, Judas's heart had turned away from God. And he betrayed Christ for 30 pieces of silver. And the Bible says that he is lost forever because of it. His heart never found Jesus, even right there in the midst of him. And I guess to put it in our context, Judas had heard good sermons all his life from the... From the originator of the sermons. And it didn't move him. And he still betrayed Jesus. The rich young ruler came to Jesus. He was saying, Lord, what must I have do? What do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus went to right to the heart of this man. And he said, you got to give up the very thing that's more valuable than everything. He said, give up all your money and all your possessions and then come follow me. And the Bible says that he walked away sadly. Because he had a lot of possessions. So he heard. He met Christ. But he walked away lost. I think one of the most tragic stories in the New Testament are the Pharisees. And we see this emerging conflict in the book of John. And the reason I wrestled with this message. I've talked to Jacob, uh, Jacob and AJ and I. We talked about this a lot. And, and as we talked. Um, I said you know I, I can't. Ignore this, this conflict that went on here between Jesus and the Pharisees. They, they battled, they, they didn't agree with him. You see, the Pharisees were religious people who had established a system of religion based on the Bible, based on the Old Testament. It had evolved into something far different than the Bible. It wasn't anything like what God had originated, but they had created rules and laws and observations and all of these things, the trappings of faith. They were religious, but they were not godly. And when they had the presence of God in their midst, they denied Jesus. Because they thought Jesus was going to take away the very thing that they had, their power and their authority and their right to be whoever they thought they were. And so they were faithless religious people. you got to watch out for faithless religious people. They're a dangerous lot. Apostle Paul tells us that over in the last days, and I read this to you every now and then, but I think it's a really good passage. I, I know, I hadn't read John 8 yet. I will. 
but, but listen to this. Paul says this. He said, know this. Hard times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. They'll be boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanders, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Listen to this. Holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. In other words, they, in the last days, we will see religion, but we won't see real faith. People that hear and know, but it doesn't move their heart. The Bible tells us that the measure of our faith is our heart. And Jesus saw these Pharisees and he knew their heart. So we're going to see four things today, but I'm, I want you to, I'm going to read the passage and then we'll talk about it. Let me read it. John chapter eight. 21 through 30. And then he said to them again, that is to the Pharisees, I'm going away. You will look for me and you will die in your sins. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said again, he won't kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. You are from below, Jesus told him. I am from above. You are of this world. I'm not of this world. Therefore, I told you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Who are you? They questioned. Exactly what I've been telling you from the very beginning, Jesus told him. I have many things to say and to judge about you, but the one who sent me is true. And what I have heard from him, these things I tell the world. They did not know he was speaking to them about the father. So Jesus said to them, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own. But just as the father taught me, I say these things. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. Because I always do what pleases him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Father, thank you for your word. Speak powerfully to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I have four points I want to tell you. If the keys to dying in our sins, the ways to do that. The first, the first way is to be self-righteous. In this first verse, uh, these first couple of verses here in verses 21 and 22, Jesus says, uh, when I'm going away, you're going to look for me and you'll die in your sins. And where I'm going, you can't come. And the Jews thought, well, where is he going that we won't know where he is going? Because we're godly religious people and we know the Bible and we know we're going to heaven. So if he's not going to heaven, where's he going? Because we know we're going. In the Jewish way of thinking, the worst sin that you could commit was suicide. And when you went to suicide, when, when somebody committed suicide in the Jewish way of thinking, uh, they believed that you went to the deepest, darkest separation from God that there was. That you went as far away from God as you could be. Now, I want to clarify that today because the New Testament has an entirely different picture. And while we know that suicide is a sin, like any other sin, that God forgives us and cleanses us of our sin. So a person who is a believer that because of an illness commits suicide, they're in the presence of God. But the Old Testament, that's not their understanding. So the Jews said, if Jesus is going somewhere and we can't be with him, then surely he's going far away from God. So they said, he won't kill himself, will he? Since he says where I'm going, you can't go. Because they knew they would be in heaven. They knew their hearts were right. You see, that self-righteous, the idea that I'm okay and you're not okay, was prevalent among the Pharisees. It's prevalent today. A lot of church people have the same idea. I'm okay, but the rest of the world isn't okay. Where I'm going, you can't come, Jesus said. We have to understand that our heart, the Bible teaches us, that our heart is deceitfully wicked. Now, 
That means my heart is that way, and that means that your heart, naturally, that's who we are. We naturally are that type of people. The, uh, Proverbs chapter 16 says, all a person's ways seem right, but the Lord weighs our motives. While we, we can justify and we think we're okay, God weighs, he sees our heart. And then the, the writer of Proverbs says, who can I say that I've kept my heart pure? I'm cleansed from my sin. Who could say that? No, none of us can. In Proverbs 20, he says, there's a generation that in its own eyes is pure, yet it's not washed from filth. I think we have to guard against the idea of self-righteousness. I don't need God. I've heard a lot of people, when you talk to them about faith, and they say, well, you know, I don't really need Jesus. I'm a pretty good person. I've done this and I've done that. I, I know some Christians over here, and I'm better than they are. I can do things better than they do them. So surely I'm okay. So the idea of being self-righteous is very, very important. I want you to know there's not anything... That you and I can never do to earn our salvation. There, there's not any, there's not any quality that God needs from any of us. What He wants from us is He wants us to recognize our fault before Him. To recognize that we're sinners. That we're lost. That we're hopelessly lost in sin. And without Him we have nothing. People that are self-righteous will die in their sins. Because we can't gain our salvation by good works or by morality or by our religious work or by our membership in church. We can only gain it through Christ. Don't be self-righteous. Number two, but, uh, the people that can die in their sins are worldly people. The, the word here in John is cosmos. That's what we get from the world. Uh, it's described here as the world system, the world makeup. It's not just the world. We're all of the world. But Jesus said to these, these, he said, you, in verse 23, are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. He said there's a basic distinction from where we come from. Jesus said, I don't come from this world. And he said, but the Pharisees, you guys, you come right out of this world. He's not saying you were born on earth. He's saying that your thoughts and your attitudes and your heart, you're right out of the world. They're right out. They're not from God at all. Ephesians chapter 2 says that we are controlled by the things of this world. That we are controlled by the systems, by the process of evil that's in our world. That's what drives us. And when the world influences us, that's not from God. It's not godly. When you're influenced by the world, when worldly values come into the church... Those are worldly values. They aren't God's values. That's why the church has to be careful about them. That's why we have to guard them. That's why we, we have to preach the Bible. That's why we have to hold each other to the Bible. That's why we have to be accountable to the Bible. Because that's God's word. We can't say, well, the world does this and, and our culture now thinks this and this is okay now. We have to be careful. Jesus said to the disciples in John 15, we'll get there in a few months. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of this world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. If you ever feel like, church, that you just don't belong in the world, you're right, you don't. We're strangers and foreigners here. To be honest, that's the way Paul describes us. You're... But the people that insist on being worldly, that is that they get their heart and their values and their ideas from the world. Jesus said those folks will die in their sins. 
It's very, very important. Number three, to be unbelieving. Now, here's the key. The result of self-righteousness and the result of worldliness is unbelief. That's the key. That's the sin. That's that's the deadly consequence of worldliness and self-righteousness. And if you look at these verses in verse 24, Jesus said, Again, he reiterates, and if you wonder where I got my message, how to die, how I got my title, how to die in your sins, it's mentioned right here again. Therefore, I told you that you will die in your sins. For if you don't believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's absolutely imperative. If we don't believe that Christ, that I am he, that Christ is the son of God, that is the savior of the world. If we don't believe that, that's it. You, you can believe everything. You can say, well, I, I believe in the Southern Baptist and I believe in good Christian music and I believe in coming to church and I believe in teaching Sunday school and I believe in serving in the church and I've done these things. But if you don't believe that Christ died for you in your sins and that you desperately needed a savior, you don't believe in who Jesus is. And Jesus said that is fatal error. That is the one thing that we can't do. There's no negotiation. One of the worldly values that comes into the church is the idea that there's a lot of ways to heaven. That everybody has got a good idea. The Muslims do and the Buddhists do and the humanists do. Now the humanists to me is the further stretch because they believe in the power of a human being. Now, I'm 62 years old, which is past my prime, but I'm still effective, I guess. I can still get up and move around and do things. I can see where that's threatened sometimes, too, though, to be honest with you. But but we have to know, we, we have to recognize that as a world, as... as as worldly values, one of the worldly values is that we are, that we are believers in Christ. That, that is absolute. We cannot, we cannot do that. Can't, we cannot believe that Jesus is not our Lord. Listen, R.C.H. Linsky, a theologian of years ago, said, The sins of men will destroy them by robbing them of life eternal only if they refuse to believe in Jesus. The if clause in here. For if you do not believe, that's what, if you, if you do something in your Bible, you could circle. For if you do not believe, that's the conditional clause. You have to do that. If you do not believe. Our disbelief is a block to eternal life. If you don't believe in Christ, if you don't believe in who he is, you don't have anything. That's why our work in the world as a church is so important. That's why our ministry and our testimony in the church is so important. That's the reason this church exists. We don't exist to come together. We get, exist to go out. We, we exist We exist to make a difference in the hearts of people. I, I'll tell you that a church on its best days is always distracted by many things that go around it. We have... We have fortunately, Barbara takes care of most of the building. All we have to do for the building is just call Barbara and say it's broken. But there are countless of other things that go on in the church that distract us from our work. Our work is to take the gospel to the world. That's our work. That's why we exist. That's 
the only reason we exist. Because Jesus said that's the only thing that matters. It does. We don't exist to get bigger. We don't exist to have a lot of money. We don't exist to build buildings. We don't exist to do missions. We exist to go out and reach lost people. That is our sole purpose, church. That's why we are here. Because in the end, that is all that matters. Jesus said, if you don't believe, you will die in your sins. Finally, Jesus said, to die in our sins, we can do that by being willfully ignorant. Now, there's five or six verses here that I want to look at. And and so here's how it started. It started with an argument. The Pharisees said to Jesus after all of this, okay, if we don't believe in you, then just who are you? Who are you? That's the question in verse 25. And Jesus said exactly what I've been telling you from the very beginning. Jesus told them, I have many things to say and to judge about you, but the one who sent me is true. And what I've heard from him, these things I tell the world. Jesus said, you want to know who I am? I've been telling you guys all along and you don't listen. I've told you in story, in account, in sermon, in message, in lesson, and you don't get it. You have heard it from the beginning that I am telling you exactly what God sent me here to tell. And you missed it. They were willfully ignorant. Of what Jesus said. Now you say, well, Jim, they, they weren't really willfully, were they? I mean, their thinking was blinded by the world. Their thinking was blinded by their nature. Their thinking was obstructed by all their friends around them that enforced it. Here's Jesus telling them a message that's so radically different. To have faith and to, by grace you're saved and, and to, to trust in Him entirely for your salvation. That's not a message they'd ever heard. Jesus had spoken clearly to them and they didn't hear. When I, when I read this, exactly what I've been telling you from the very beginning, I think, well, how many times have I heard the gospel? How, how many times has that message flown over my heart? How many times have I listened to a good sermon and I said, wow, that's a great sermon? And walk out and my life's not changed, affected. You see, What we have to do is we have to make sure that we apply what Christ says to our heart. It it has to be a part of our life. It has to be a part of who we are. We, we have to, we have to be changed by it. I mean, it has to have a difference in the way we do business here in the church. The church ought to clearly be different than the world. The world should be able to look at the church and say, you know, they're different in there. They don't do things the way everybody else does it. But when we do things the way everybody else does it, they say, well, you see, they're no different than we are. That message has got to flow over our heart. It, it, it will affect the way we treat our families. It will affect the way that we treat our people that we work with. They're going to look at you and say, what is it about you that's different? When, when you're in school, your message, the message of Christ, if you're obedient to it, it'll, it'll affect your relationships everywhere you go. But Jesus said there were people that heard the message of the gospel and they were willfully ignorant of it. It's a serious charge. Okay, four points. It's sad that these Jews would die in their sins. Jesus didn't say maybe, didn't say could, didn't say you're headed that way. He said they will die in their sins. He knew their heart. He knew they wouldn't change their mind. He knew they were religious people that could 
spout scripture, but their hearts were as cold as a tomb. He knew that. So he said, you will die in your sins. Four reasons, he said. Because of their self-righteousness. Because of their worldliness. Because of their lack of belief. And because of their willful disobedience. Willful ignorance. So many today perish for the same reasons. People hear the gospel. They just don't feel like they need Jesus. You know, I've talked to a lot of folks, and, and frankly, I've lived this way in years past that, uh, that I lived like I didn't really need him. You, you will have people that, that, that tell you they don't really need Jesus. They have everything. They're pretty good. Okay, thank you. They hear the gospel of Christ, but they don't respond to it. They listen and they listen and they hear and they hear and they may have notebooks full of sermon notes and they never do anything with it. They never respond. I, I listened. I, uh, when we were traveling, we went to see my daughter in Florida this week and we were there and there was a message on television from Charles Stanley and there he was preaching. And I looked out in his congregation at First Baptist Church and everybody in the church had the same kind of little notebook. I was amazed. And I guess, I guess everybody has the same notebook. That's really good stuff. And, and there were people and their notebooks were filled with sermons. I guess, I mean, if you sat under Charles Stanley, you would probably want to record every word that he says. He's a wise man. But I thought, because I was working on this message, I said, I hope, I hope all those good sermons out of the Bible they're putting in their heart. They're applying to their life. That's, that's our challenge. There are people that want to know about Jesus and they learn about him, but they don't do anything about him. They want, they want all the things the world has, but they want to have the assurance of salvation. But Jesus says to follow him, we got to give up our own desires and to follow him and listen. But the Bible is filled. It has a great message of hope. And I want to share this with you. And that's the way I want to close. Because I don't want you to leave discouraged. I don't want you to leave and say, well, that was, I mean, he really just kind of wore us out on this thing today. And I feel like we're all in terrible trouble. But I want you, I want to hear, I want you to hear the rest of the gospel. I want you to know what it says. And this, and we've already talked about this. So over in John chapter 3 verse 16, for God so loved the world in this way that he gave his only, one and only son so that everyone, listen church, everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Everybody. There's no exclusion here. There's no if clause here. Everybody that believes in him, if we believe in him, we will have eternal life. And then he says, because there are people like me that aren't very, that are kind of slow and we have to hear it again. So Jesus turns right around and he says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. I, I want you to know that Christ didn't come to condemn us. He didn't, he didn't come to condemn these Pharisees. He brought the message of salvation to them. He wanted them to hear. They, they had listened and heard and they didn't respond. So finally he turned the heat up a little bit and he got in their face and made it personal. But they still didn't respond. But you know what the great message about, the great thing we don't hear about in the Bible, that we don't hear about in the Gospels. In, in the day of Pentecost, when Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and all these wore out and discouraged disciples got filled up with the power of God from his Holy Spirit. And Peter went out and preached a sermon that he never prepared, he never thought about. And over 3,000 people, Jews, came to him that day. I have to think some of these Pharisees heard that and their hearts were turned. But Jesus said, he didn't come to condemn us. He came to save the world. 
but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. So church, that's our, that's our, that's our escape clause right there. I, I pray that you hear this message and you say, you know, I, I've, I've got some self-righteousness in me and I've got some willful ignorance in me and I've, I've got some unbelief in me. I've got some worldliness in me. But if you trust Christ, if you say, Lord, I need you for my Savior, if you believe in him, he, he will save you. That's it. That's, that is the message of the gospel. That is the greatest message we can ever have. You, you, there's not anything you can do to invalidate that. As long as you have breath and you have will, you can come to Christ. It's the most important thing. And, and you say, Jim, you, you talk about this a lot. And the reason I talk about it a lot is because I know that uh, for a long time in church, I sat in church and, and this, the, the beauty and the wonder and the power of that simple message didn't follow my heart. I knew it. I understood it. I could even tell you about it. But when it got in my heart, it changed the way I live. And so that's my prayer for you. That you know what Christ does. That you know what he offers. That you know why he came. That you know what he promises us. By eternal life. If you believe in him, you will have eternal life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that you can both convict us and then save us. It's not us, it's you. Lord, I pray that you'll work on the life of any person here that doesn't know you. That you make it so uncomfortable that we won't leave that way. And maybe others we need to draw close to the cross. And what you've done. And how much you love us. And how you call us to serve you. Lord, be with us in this time of invitation. Move us as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.